Well, happy Father's Day, all you dads out there. You know, as fathers, a lot of times we don't get, you know, the celebration that mothers get. I, I know Mother's Day, we had flowers here for all the moms. Sorry, dads, we, we could have got a roll of duct tape or something, I don't know. <laughs> here you go, dad, go fix something. Uh, but it, it's just a different sense, it's kind of funny, you know, Mother's Day, the moms tell their kids, you know, come, come to church with me. You know, dads sometimes, hey, let's go fishing. I don't know, but anyway, I'm glad you're here. And this, this Father's Day is interesting for me because my youngest, it's her birthday today, and she's no longer a teenager. My baby, yeah, yeah. And I survived, you know. And in fact, this morning, or yeah, it was about this morning, about 12 something, you know, midnight just passed. In the morning, I, we wished her a happy birthday because it was her birthday, even though she wasn't born until like 8 in the morning. You know, we wished her a happy birthday. And I just was thinking about my role as a father and it being Father's Day. She wished me happy Father's Day. I wished her a happy birthday. And, and as I was talking to her and thinking about this, I kind of got just moved to talk about something different. So we're not going to be in Acts 26 this morning. Uh, we're going to be talking a little bit on fathers and more specifically about our Heavenly Father. And so if you have your Bible, open it to Matthew chapter 5 because what we're going to be looking at this morning is basically the DNA of God. And I want everyone to see my graphic while it works. It's spinning. Okay, there, it's done. If you missed it, sorry, we'll show you again later. Hopefully that'll be good enough for if the study isn't. You could say, wow, that graphic was pretty cool for a second. The DNA of God. You know, DNA is what makes us or marks us the, the, who we are. You can tell if someone is have the same DNA. If you need a Bible, raise your hand too and they'll get you a Bible. They can mark those things, and I don't know how it works, but I've seen, you know, CSI, and, you know, they do these things where they show the markers, and it shows, oh, yeah, this person is related to them, and all they need is a strand of hair, or a piece of skin, or blood, or whatever it is, or saliva out of their mouth, and just from that little thing, they could say, you are connected to this person. Well, the, the same is true with God. That there are things that connect us to who he is. And as the scriptures call him our heavenly father, the idea of a father takes on different images to, to many of us. I don't know what kind of relationship you've had with your father. I never really had a father. I had a number of stepfathers, but no one ever really took that role in my life. I, I even remember when I was, oh, I guess about six or so 
my mom was going to be getting married, and the idea of having a dad meant so much to me. I was so excited that when she said she was getting married, I was just bouncing up and down in the car. I was like, all right, I'm going to have a dad. You know, I had this idea of what it meant to have a dad. You know, we'd play catch and we'd do all these dad-son things, and I don't know what I was thinking, but I was very excited about it, very thrilled to the idea that I was going to have a father, only to turn out that he ended up being a drug dealer and not a very good influence in my life or in my family's life. And a lot of people have had similar things. The idea of a father maybe has been shattered. Maybe has, has come less than what it is. And it's noticeable that one of the major problems with society as far as crime is the lack of a father in the home. It's one of the things that marks people who, kids who grow up in delinquency is there was a lack of that father role in their lives. And so maybe your idea of a father is, well, you know, I never had really much of an idea of what a father is. And maybe you've had a good role model in a father. It was interesting when I became a father. I've said this before, I don't think anything has taught me more about God than being a father. Because I became involved in a role that I had never been in before, and stepping into that role, it it changed me. It started changing the way I think. All of a sudden, I'm not doing things just for myself. I've got a family I have to think about. And so the jobs that I have to take, especially when times are tough, you know, they're not the best jobs, but I've got to take them because I have a family. And I have to work that overtime. And I have to do those things. And as the children were born... My desire to be the best dad in the world was there. Man, I, wanna, I don't want to make the mistakes that my stepfathers made. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be a good dad. And then there was the humanity of who I am that failed, that let them down. And, and I imagine if you were to ask my kids, they would say I was a, a good father, I hope, you know. I, I think so, you know, but I, I wasn't as good a father as I would like to be. But we have the image of a heavenly father that I want to look at this morning and see who he is and why that is so important for our lives, just like the, uh, a natural father is important, especially for young men growing up, our Heavenly Father is important for us if we are going to grow up healthy, if we are going to grow up whole. And in chapter 5, there are two places where we are told that we are the sons of God. One of them is in verse 9 where Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. And the next time it takes place is in verse 45, 
where he says that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. And it's right after he tells us that we are to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So peacemaking and loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you are marks of your Father. That is the the DNA strain that connects us to God. It's interesting, and as I'm going through the Beatitudes with the young adults, and I've been going through this, I thought it was remarkable that one of the things God says that shows you are my child, that, that connects you to me, is if you make peace with people. That's what connects you to who I am. And making peace is a difficult thing. It's not easy. If you've been in a family, you know what it's like to try and make peace. How many times I had to break my boys up from breaking each other's necks. You're in the room, you know, you're eating dinner. All of a sudden, you're bam, 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 You go in there, and one of them's on the other one, you know, with his neck. And you're like, what happened? You know, you guys were playing, you know, PlayStation two seconds ago and laughing, and now you're about to kill each other. And you have to make peace constantly. At least I did in my house. But that is one of the marks of what it means to be a Christian. And this whole chapter of finding out the DNA, so to speak, of God, finding out who God is and what he's about, it begins with a foundation. The foundation is found in verse 3 when Jesus starts this Sermon on the Mount, when he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And the first thing that is necessary to recognize if we're going to understand who God is, that this conversation that's going to take place begins when you first take stock of who you are and place it in someone else's bank. To understand God and to identify with the kingdom of God, what you need to do is recognize that your stock has failed that you are impoverished, that you are bankrupt, and you need to place that into someone else's care. And we have to start there. We have to start with our deficiency. We have to start with our weakness, because until we recognize it, we will never be made strong. And once you tell someone You know, you have to recognize your weakness. You have to be aware of your sin. That sin word comes up and everyone goes, yeah, I knew I'd come to church and they talk about sin. And you know what? Jesus said, I didn't come for the righteous. I came for those who are sick. I came to call sinners to repentance. And so if you don't sin and if it's not a problem with you, then you know what? Okay, you don't need Jesus. He didn't come for you. But the day may come when you do sin, and in that day, he's there. 
In that day when you do need someone, he's there. That day when you do hit the wall, when you do hit your weakness, when that day comes, he's there for you. And you see, I didn't think that day was going to come as a father, as a husband. When I got married, I was going to be the best husband in the world. My wife's not here right now. Is it? And I am. No. <laughs> but it wasn't long before my selfishness came up. Before my weakness invaded our relationship. Before my impatience showed its ugly head. Before the one who I loved and said I was going to commit my life to, I started tearing down. And there was an awareness of, I need help. That's the foundation. That's where you start. You need help. Blessed. That means happy, joy, fulfilled are the ones who are poor in spirit. Why? Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't say they will go to heaven. It doesn't say they will be a part of heaven. It says theirs is the kingdom. Heaven, the kingdom of heaven belongs to them because they're starting from a place that is not trusting in self but is trusting in God. And so everything that goes on in this chapter begins with this foundation. And there are six statements that Jesus makes throughout this chapter where he says, you have heard, but I say to you. And the first one takes place in verse 21 where he says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Now, we're going to get an idea here that, you know, murder is bad enough, right? That, that's bad. But he's saying, no, it, it's worse still. You think murder is bad? Well, it goes deeper. In verse 27, he says, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Okay, I'll let that one sink in, you know, let that soak in your own thoughts there. Okay, not too long. Okay, 31. It has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce, but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress, and anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Verse 33. Again, you have heard said that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths that you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. In verse 33, he goes on and he says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Now, he gives this list of, you've heard it said, but I'm telling you, and he's placing himself in a position of authority. 
saying, you've heard this, but I'm telling you what it's really about. And it seems like the things he tells us, we're understanding, yeah, I've heard that, yeah, murder, adultery, yeah, love your neighbor, I, I've heard all these things. But then he goes deeper still. You see, he's saying it's not about just the things you do, it's about the person you are. And you cannot physically commit murder, but you can be a murderer and have the heart of a murderer. You cannot physically commit adultery, but you can have the heart and mind of an adulterer. You can love your neighbor, but I'm telling you, that isn't enough if you want to be connected to your father. And once again, we saw that God cared for the peacemakers, that they were called his sons, that they belonged to him. And here we said that those who love their enemies and pray for those who persecute you, theirs, that name then is given to them as well because that reflects who God is. And, and what Jesus is doing is saying, take stock into who you really are. Because God doesn't want to play around. He doesn't care about your religion. He doesn't care if you go to church and you do all these things. If your heart is far from, from me, it means nothing. I'm going after your heart and I need to change you there. And Jesus goes for the juggler. And he tells us how serious our condition is. Because I don't love my enemies. There's a balloon. <laughs> I feel like I'm at Dodger Stadium. Go ahead, hit it back. <laughs> Wait, it's got a note. It's from God. <laughs> it's got a name on it. <laughs> Everyone's freaking out. No, <laughs> not my name. <laughs> Pick you, do you really know? Do we want to hear what God has to say? Do we want to know what God has to say? Because the odds are it's going to cut into our lives. It's going to cut into who we are, and it's going to expose us for who we are. And that's exactly what he's trying to do. He doesn't want to play games. He wants to talk about the real you. And the real us is difficult to talk about. We don't like talking about that. We, we like to put on the cover and we like to make the good front. But all of us have the issues and the difficulties. But the great thing is that God wants to make peace. That even when we were enemies with God, he gave his son for us so that we can be brought together to him. And that's what he's telling us to do. The same thing that he did. He's telling us that there's more than meets here. There's something underneath all these laws and all these ideas of murder and divorce and adultery and caring. 
there's something underneath it. Years ago, I applied for the police department in Glendale. I didn't make it, but I applied. And in the interview, they ask you questions and they try and set you up. They ask you these questions that are kind of trick questions in that they want to see if you're reasonable. They ask you, if you saw your mom driving and she was driving past the speed limit, would you pull her over and give her a ticket? Well, the law says I should. She's breaking the law. But if I want a babysitter, then it says, <laughs> it says no. And so they challenge you, what will you do? Do you, do you understand the spirit of the law or are you blinded and just going to do what says? The law says this law. And if people say, well, I'd give my mom a ticket, then they jump down your throat and say, really? You'd give your mom a ticket? How low are you? That's your mom. That's the one who gave birth to you. You're going to do that to her and they, uh, 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 they want to get you to... They challenge you to see, do you understand the purpose, the, the spirit of what we're trying to achieve in the department? Well, that's what God's trying to do. He's trying to get, do you understand the spirit that God is trying to develop within you and within me? It's not one of hypocrisy. It's not one that just looks good on the outside. It's one that deals with the real you, the things that you are. And, and the great thing about this is when we are exposed for who we really are, because God knows, how does he feel? What is his thought on this? In Psalm 86, verse 5, it says, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. Ephesians 4 31 and 32 says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. It says in verse 32, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. You see, God is merciful, God is caring, and He wants you to be the same way. Because God wants to show you mercy. Why? Because you need it. I need it. And so does your neighbor. So does your enemy. So does your brother. So does your husband, your wife, your children. And as God has looked on you and knows you, the depths of your heart, everything is in you, he says, I love you. I care about you. I desire for you to be whole. Do you desire that for others? Because if you do, then there's that connection of the DNA of who God is and who you are. Jesus went so far as to say, with what measure you show mercy, that's how mercy is going to be showed to you. If you forgive men, your Father will forgive you. If you don't, don't expect God to. 
because you've just severed the ties. You've severed the relationship. Now that's heavy. That causes some soul searching because I, I want to be forgiven. I want mercy. I, I want these things that are going to be good for me. But it's hard for me to give that to those who I don't feel are deserving. But then it comes back, are you deserving? Do I deserve God's mercy? Well, not really. Some days are better than others, but overall, if you, if you grade the world on a curve, depending on, you know, what part of the world I'm in, it doesn't work that way. It really matters where God is at. And so what the Lord is trying to show us here is, again, the need for us to understand our condition and that we are in the same boat with other people, with all of us, that we are in this need. And the good news, people, the good news is that God is merciful that he desires, he's waiting for opportunity to help. You know the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. Turn there real quick. Because we're all familiar with the story of the prodigal son, but it has, leading up to it, some verses that I think we overlook many times. Start at verse 3. Jesus is meeting with tax collectors and around him the Pharisees and they're saying, man, this man welcomes sinners with him. He, he eats with sinners. They're, they're judging him because of his company. They're getting down on him. In verse 3, Jesus says to a parable, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then he goes on to give a parable of the prodigal son that you're familiar with. The son who squanders his father's living. He says, Give me my inheritance, goes off, lives with prostitutes, ends up taking care of pigs, living in a pigsty. And it says, I'm not worthy See, this is the context. The shepherd's looking for the sheep. The, the widow's looking for that lost coin. And now there's a father who's looking for his son. It's important to recognize in this story, the father lets the son go. He doesn't force him to stay. And you know what? You can't force someone to stay. Love cannot force someone to stay. Oh, you can try, you can plead, you can make rules, but 
it comes down to that choice that they have to make. There was a point when one of my boys, I had to tell him, you, you can't live this way and you need to leave the house because you can't be bringing what you're doing into this house. I can't allow that. It's disrupting our family. It, it is causing damage to us. And I had to ask him to leave. And he left. And there wasn't a day that went by that I would worry and wonder, where is he? There wasn't a day that went by that I wouldn't be, in the sense, like the prodigal's father, looking out saying, I wonder if he's going to come back. And there wasn't a day that my wife didn't talk to me about it. Did you do the right thing? Maybe we shouldn't have done that. Maybe we should have, you know, we should try and do something else. And it's like, don't you remember? We were going crazy. If I, if I didn't tell him he had to leave, I would, have, I would have killed him. That would have been worse. It was, it was just not good. It was causing such problems in the house. We couldn't have it any longer. But my heart... broken because more than anything I wanted my son home but he had to choose he had to choose and a situation came into play where he was hurt needed medical attention like the prodigal story, came to a place where he says, you know, I can get help even if I go back to my father's house and am as, as, as a servant. I, I at least can go there. I'm thankful that he knew he could come back. And when he called and he said, hey, Dad, I'm hurt. I was in a fight, got injured. I need help. I didn't say, too late, that's enough. I, you had your chance. You're going to reap what you sow now, buddy. should have listened to me. Told you so. My father is rich in mercy. And I said, get over here, we'll take care. Let's get you to the doctor. Let's get you fixed up. Let's get what you need. How could I not? Oh, yeah, part of me was just like, do you understand? You don't deserve this. The way you treated us, the things you did, you don't deserve this. But you know what? That's not what he needed to hear. What he needed to hear right then is you can come home I will take care of you. Let's kill the fatted calf. Let's get the rings. Let's get the robe. You're my son. You were lost. Now you're found. God is rich in mercy. And it wasn't until I was a father that I understood what that meant. It wasn't until I loved like a father that I understand the depths of what my heavenly father cares about for me. 
And I got to tell you guys, it gives me such hope. And what I want you to know this Father's Day is that there is a dad who cares about you. Years ago, I was watching a, a TV interview when the Lakers were winning the championship back then, just like they did just recently. <laughs> All you Laker fans just thought I'd make you feel good for a second. And, and Byron Scott, one of the guards for the Lakers, was being interviewed. And Byron Scott had a good tenure, I think 10 years with the Lakers. He won three championships before he went on to coach with the Nets, and now he's with the Hornets. But he was there with the Lakers, and they were interviewing him, and he was going to the championship. I think they were uh, playing Boston. And the interview, all of a sudden they said, yes, you know, Byron Scott was given up for adoption when he was a boy and was taken, you know, brought into this other family. But his, and I remember this, they said, but his real father is here with him now. And this guy standing up next to him, you know, my son's a millionaire now, you know. Yeah, I gave him up when he was a little and I had a drinking problem, but he's a millionaire now. And I, and I remember him standing there and he was just standing there and Byron Scott was just standing there and saying, well, Byron, how is this, you know, being you know, brought together again with your real father? And without batting an eye, Byron Scott, you know, he said, anyone can be a father, but it takes a real man to be a dad. And I have a dad. He's raised me. He took care of me from when I was a boy. That's my real father. And this guy didn't get it. He just stand there. And he didn't realize. He just, dude, he just slammed you. You know, I mean, it's okay. This is my boy. You know, I just want to get whatever I can. Anyone can be a father, but it, it takes heart to be a dad. And you see, you have a dad. In fact, turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 12. Romans 8, 12. It said, Therefore, brothers... We have an obligation. But it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you'll live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons God. Those who are led by the Spirit have His DNA. Those who move in mercy, those who give peace, those who recognize their condition, their need, and allow God to pick them up like the prodigal out of the clay, come back to that place where they say, I need you. Those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received a spirit of sonship. 
And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Abba is daddy. It's the term your kids cry out when they're in trouble. When they're about to fall off the fence and you're by, they go, Dad! When they're in the pool and they think they're going to drown and they scream out your name. They don't say, Sam, Sam. They scream, Dad. It is the term that is dear. You have a dad who doesn't let you down, who is looking for you, who desires mercy in your life, who wants you to live, who wants to make you whole inside, the real you. The one who you know is there. The one that can't be hidden from people. He cares. He's reaching out. You have a dad and you can cry out, Dad. I'm empty. I'm hurt. I'm lost. I'm messed up, man. Dad, I need help. And that's where you need to start. The Spirit himself, verse 16, testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now we are children, then heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Share in his sufferings, wow. That's not... Well, you know, sometimes love is suffering. Being a parent's hard. Hardest thing I've ever done is have to be a dad. The thing that's changed me most is being a dad. The thing that's caused me probably the most joy is being a dad. Because it works into the depths of who I am cause that change with you as well. I was adopted when I was younger. My mom had married my stepfather, the one who ended up selling drugs, and he adopted me. I forget how old I was, 12 or something like that. And it's an interesting thing what happens when you're adopted. It's kind of funny. You know, you hear the word adopted and you think I... You know, it was like Oliver somewhere living in a camp. Please, sir, may I have more? You know, I just... And one time I got pulled over by the cops. I forget why I was speeding or something. And I had this funky truck. And I, they pulled me over. And I gave them my driver's license. And they said, you know, what is your name? He came back. Why do we have the name Earl? That was my, you know, original name. You know, I did a check on you, and it came back with this name, Earl, but my license said Scotty. What's going on? I go, oh, oh, that was the name before I was adopted. And you should have seen the guy's face. He, like, felt sorry for me all of a sudden. I was like, oh, you're adopted? Here you go. Go ahead, kids, you know. <laughs> go ahead. Put that in alcohol way and go along now, you know. It's just like, 
it just, I don't recommend that. But anyway, he, he just had this pity for me. Well, okay, here's my point. Uh, when I was adopted, went into a courtroom, I vaguely remember it. There was a judge there said, do you want to be adopted? I said, sure, yeah, let's, let's do it. You know, what does it mean? You know, I think I had to say something, had to sign something. And then I was adopted. Well, later on, I got another birth certificate. I got a birth certificate with my adopted name. See, I've got two birth certificates. I've got one of what I used to be. And I got a new one with my new name. We've been adopted in to God's family. He wants to give you his name. He wants to say, you're mine. I'll give you my name. My DNA will belong to you. I'll make you a new creation. What do you say? You want to be adopted? Do you want to be adopted? Do you want a father who cares, who's looking for you with mercy, who's looking at you wanting to bring you back in. Because if that's what you want, then you need to let go. You need to put away the deeds. You need to recognize the truth of who you are, where you are. And you need to turn to God. You need to recognize that you're only going to be blessed if you're poor in spirit if you're bankrupt. And you're only going to be identified with God if you're a peacemaker, if you show mercy, if you are the things that he is. That connects you to him. And to do that, you need to be led by his spirit. So you need to give up your spirit that wants to hold on to who you are. Like the prodigal, you need to take stock and say, you know what, I'm living in a pigsty. My life is going to be nothing but mud if I keep walking this way. I need to change. And allow your dad to take you, to change you, to bring you home. My son, who I mentioned earlier, sent me a card for Father's Day because he's not living with us right now. It said, Happy Father's Day, just a little card. And then it said, I wish I was there. You have no idea how that made me feel. I wish I was home. Wish I could be there. He wants to be home. He's got places he's got to be. He's got his life. He's moving on. But his heart desires to be with his dad. Oh, man. Walking on sunshine. <laughs> yeah. Don't feel good. Made my day. Made my day. Because love is a choice. He wants the relationship. I want the relationship. We have a great relationship. You can have the great relationship with God. You can.
He desires it. Do you desire it? Do you? And I just want to ask you this morning, do you want to be adopted? Because he wants to adopt you. Let's pray. Lord God, I remember when I was 12 or so and I wanted to be adopted. I wanted to be a part of a family and the idea of what I had in a family. I remember that. And Lord, I remember when I wanted to be adopted by you. When I had enough of my life and wanted to be related to you. When I wanted to, to come home and I wanted to begin again, I remember. And I'm so thankful, Lord, that you received me with mercy. That your grace was there to, to cover my worst needs. What a great dad you were. What a great dad you have been. And Lord, no matter what our idea of Father is, we know what your idea is. We know what you desire to be in our lives. And the invitation is there. You are standing before each of us saying, will you let me adopt you? Do you see where you are? You're hurt. You're injured. You're bleeding. You're, you're dying. Will you let me bring you into my family? And Lord, it's up to us to say, yes, this is what I need. This is what I want. It's up to us. And I pray, God, that we would have sense enough to see who we really are, what our need really is, that we wouldn't play games with you, that we would not worry about anyone else, that recognize what you are saying to us, that we would hear your voice today if you hear my voice. Don't harden your heart, you tell God, I pray that is the case this morning, that you would be speaking and we would be listening and have ears to hear what you say. And that we would say, yes, would you adopt me? Would you be my dad? Because I need one. I need you. I want to let you guys know 
that what's necessary isn't to stand up and answer an altar call, to raise your hand and say a prayer. What's necessary is for you to want the change in your life. That's what's necessary. And it doesn't matter how many times you stand up, how many times you go forward, how many times you raise your hand, unless you really want a relationship with God, nothing changes. And so I don't want to minimize the work God is doing, but at the same time, I want to press it upon you. Make the change. Answer his call. Respond to what his spirit has pressed upon you today. It's between you and him, but it will be evident, as we just read, if you do say yes. It will be evident in how you live your life. And when you stumble and fall in the mud, he's there to clean you up, pick you up. That's why he's there. That's why we need a Savior. But I want to challenge you this morning as God is pressing upon you the reality of who he is, the reality of your need, don't turn away. Turn towards him and accept the love that your father wants to give to you. And let someone know. You can talk to me. You can talk to whoever brought you here this morning. Say, you know what? I'm, I'm making a decision. I, I do want to live for God. I do want to be a part of his family. I need his mercy. I need that life. I'm going to make a change. Follow him. I'm saying yes. Tell someone. Father, I pray that anyone here this morning that you have touched in this way would respond. May your Holy Spirit quicken these things that are from you, the things that are eternal. Might they take root in their hearts, their minds, and produce life. And I pray, Lord, that you would deliver them from the darkness, Lord. Help us to see. Help us to know you. Our dad, our heavenly father. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray.